High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, watchers, players, and prisoners. <laughs> this is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school, your junior year, is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment. And I would like to see the results. First bit of homework, of course. If you haven't done it already, hit that subscribe button, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And remember, you can also listen to this show, High School Slumber Party, at cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. The flagship for not just this podcast... My other podcast, P.S. I Love Hoffman, the Philip Seymour Hoffman podcast. Joey Lewandowski, our guest today. All his podcasts are there, including his original, Cage Club, hence the network name, and his baby right now, Too Fast, Too Forever. And it's also the home of so many other great pop culture podcasts. And of course, the best way you can spread the word about High School Slumber Party, or any podcast you like, really, but let's talk High School Slumber Party because this is your homework for this show. The best way you could spread the word is by telling a friend about all the fun and wonderful things we do here on High School Slumber Party. As, as it is Valentine's Day weekend for you romantics out there, why don't you tell your lover, your partner, your date about High School Slumber Party? Why don't you uh, play a little High School Slumber Party in the background as you make a little high school slumber party love this weekend wait that just sounds weird i don't know <laughs> i was trying to incorporate it with a nice little love theme but i don't know if it's working whatever <laughs> hopefully you did your other homework though and that was of course to watch today's film nerve i already mentioned joey lewandowski he's our guest today the godfather himself hope you watched it in fact, I insist you watched it because it's a fun movie and it was your homework. Speaking of homework, your other homework, of course, was to listen to last Friday's episode. We had another great guest, Mike Manzi. He was here. And of course, we talked Drillbit Taylor. Kind of a forgotten Apatow comedy of that era, but definitely, definitely check it out. I insist you do. You know what? It's your homework more than an insist. That was an assignment. Whew. Now that we have that out of the way, it's been a while. I feel like it's been a couple weeks, but I got to kick it to my man, news anchor Brian Rodriguez. Should we? I think we should. There's been a lot of news, so let's have him talk about it. Here's 
Brian Rodriguez with high school movie news. Thank you, Brian, and might I say, your voice, sultry as always. But this is Brian Rodriguez with High School Movie News. And like Brian said, we have a lot of news to discuss today. First, let's lead off the 12th today, Friday. Big day for us teen movie fans, new teen movie fans. The trilogy comes to an end Netflix's To All the Boys trilogy. That's what we're talking about. And it's here. It's out. I haven't seen it yet, but I can't wait to watch it. And I promise, well, Brian promises, we'll cover it on this show. We're trying to get Jenna Guillaume. We haven't linked up on dates yet, but she's the best. She did the other two episodes, and I can't wait to hear her opinion. But yeah, check it out. Tell us what you think about To All the Boys, Always and Forever. Do you think the trilogy ended appropriately? Was this the best in the franchise? Was this the worst in the franchise? Who knows? Feels weird covering a third film without third time's a charm host Mike Manzi, but I don't know if he's interested in this one. I don't know if he's seen any of the others, but I'm excited. I know we're all excited here at the staff of High School Movie News. Check it out, please. Netflix, once again, let us know. Class participation is a huge part of your grade. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. By the way, speaking of Netflix, did any of you watch that new trailer for Moxie? It's an Amy Poehler high school film. I'm excited for this. I think it's going to be an awesome film. It'll be covered on High School Slumber Party as well. But yeah, Moxie, it seems like that might be the big teen film of the year. Woo! Netflix, killing it as always with teen films. Another company that kills it that I love is Mondo. And Mondo is actually releasing a vinyl of one of our favorite movies here on High School Slumber Party. John Cusack's own Say Anything. And by the way, I don't think this has been mentioned for a while, but John Cusack still blocking High School Slumber Party on Twitter. What's up with that? Come on, Cusack. For all of us here at the High School Movie News Desk, stop blocking the show on Twitter. <laughs> Makes no sense. We love you, John Cusack. Speaking of love, want to throw some birthday love out there for the star of today's film, Nerve, Emma Roberts. It was her birthday this Wednesday. Happy birthday to her. Coincidence or not, who knows? Maybe Joey, who is a big Emma Roberts fan, picked this as her birthday movie for the birthday week. Who knows? Joey, if you did, you sly devil. If not, happy coincidence. Unfortunately, we've had some deaths recently. Just want to give a nice little RIP and shout out to Christopher Plummer. Legend. Legend. He won an Oscar late in his life, but he had such a great career. I don't know if he did any high school films. I have to check that out. But this guy, Dustin Diamond, Screech. Yes, Saved by the Bell Screeched, passed away. We want to say RIP to him as well. Not a high school movie, but an important high school show. Haven't seen the new one on Peacock, but sad to lose Screech. That's for sure. Dustin Diamond, Christopher Plummer, rest in peace. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Brian Rodriguez for High School Movie 
News. Always great hearing from Brian Rodriguez with High School Movie News. Great tidbits there. Can't wait for Moxie. Can't wait to watch To All the Boys. That's what I'm going to be doing this Valentine's Day. That's for sure. Spending a little time with Peter Kavinsky, of course. (laughs) Whoa, Whoa, Peter Kavinsky. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. But I feel like I've kept you a little bit long today in the class. And it's Friday. I know all you want to do is party. Safely, but party. And guess what? As always, the party's at my place. So pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother sleeping at Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. I leave you with a song from the excellent soundtrack, the Nerve soundtrack. And you need a little cool music to get ready for the vocal stylings of myself and guest Joey Lewandowski, the godfather himself. The song is called Lucky Got What I Want by Jungle. Class dismissed. Welcome back. Your first solo time on in 2021. New year, new you perhaps. Lately, there's been a narrative that you're the villain of High School Slumber Party, but no one believes that here. I you're believe the, it. <laughs> no, you're the godfather. So before I forget, introduce yourself. Joey Lewandowski, Hunter and Central Regional High School Class of 2006. Go Red Devils. You sent me like a cryptic message earlier. You're like, ooh, I have some high school news, but it's not related to me. So I'm very curious. Is this related to the Red Devils or? No, no, no. Well, it's related to my high school. So your last episode you had on the incomparable Mike Manzi, resident historian, and you gave Drillbit Taylor, I believe, a, a grade of an 80. And you said it's a B minus, just barely a B minus. And I was like, huh, in my school, that would have been a C. Really? Yeah, my school had rigorous academic standards, where an A minus, a 92 was a B plus, a 93 was a cutoff, and then I think an 85 was a B minus, an 84 was a C plus. So like an 80 is not even really close to a B. Maybe that's why you're such a harsh judge of film. It might be. I don't know. All I do know for sure is that my high school was harder than my college. And so 
that has a lot to do with it, I think, that it was just like, oh, I have to really kind of bust my ass. So, like, I had a good GPA in high school. I didn't have a great GPA, but it was because, like, it was very hard to, like, be good. Like, you know, I feel like a 93 is, like, a pretty solid A. It's like, no, this is, you're barely on the cusp. I kind of agree with that, and I've heard that from other people. I mean, maybe it's not the experience for everyone, especially, again, I'm sure it's not the experience for people who go to college to be a surgeon, for example, that their high school was easier than college. But I struggled in college the first couple years because it was easier if that makes sense sure yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) like i was just i don't know i just didn't care i wasn't paying attention i was like oh no one's telling me when to go to class but not even that academically i found that to be the same thing and i don't know what it is or i don't know why but yeah i mean it's funny that you say that so interesting though on that grading system because i think the standard one is just like things in the 90s are a's Things in the 80s are Bs, things in the 70s are Cs, and so on and so on. Yeah, and you and I have spent some time, and I don't remember if I've mentioned it on the podcast or not, like trying to convert your letter scale to like letterboxed stars. And because, you know, we were talking about, I think it was words on bathroom walls. You're like, oh, it only has a 3.5 over there. It's not great. I was like, actually, on letterbox, like, that's really great. And like, I don't know how to directly correlate that. It's a game I'm playing in my head. It's a mental gymnastics that is of no interest or no use or no joy to anyone but me. And not even me, really, honestly. (laughs) But I'm trying to come up with a way to convert your letter grades. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I care because I don't want to say that right on air. Be like, oh, 3.6, not that great. When you're right. Like when you mentioned that to me, that like the grading's a little bit different there. And when I looked at it, I'm like, oh shit, like some of these movies that are really good are getting 3.5s or 3.2s. Yeah. So I will say in defense of my beloved Letterbox, which you I think I think Letterbox is now the new villain cuz you uh you have to you have to put it down every time you mention it you're like, "Oh, for the nerds over at Letterbox." But anyway, that's, you know, maybe not incorrect, but also I got to defend it a little bit. But the real rough rule of thumb is that like somewhere like the two eight to like three three range, I think is like just like a yeah, it's fine. Like it's pretty good. Like it's not good or bad. It's kind of like honestly kind of boring. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but just like a yeah, that was that was exactly kind of what I expected it to be. Like that's generally how that usually plays out. There's a, of course exceptions. I would say a three five and above is really good. And then like above a four, it's like oh. I need to see this like yesterday. Like it's really good. Like the highest rated things on there, I think are like four or five. So like, you know, just based on how averages work, you can't get really that close to a five. But I think like, you know, Parasite is like a four or five or a four or six or whatever. You know what I mean? So like if it's above a four, it's like, whoa. And three, five, it's like have a good cutoff for like, yeah, it's pretty good. You jogged my memory with a couple of things there. First of all, Parasite. I think we talked about an episode being a high school movie. I've consulted some people and they tell me it's a college movie. So, well, no, not necessarily. So, it's unclear, I think. I just rewatched it like a week or two ago. I rewatched it in black and white. So, there's the two kids living at home. You know, the kid. I don't know how to talk about this movie without spoiling the movie because I the joy of Parasite. (laughs) But the one kid is tutoring a high school girl, but I got the impression that he was also a high school girl, or maybe he just was, or not, not that he was a high school girl, hello, that he was a high schooler. <laughs> maybe he just hadn't gone to college yet and was just like working a job. He might just be like, he might have graduated, but you know, the job he gets from his friend is because his friend is going off to college and he, and she needs a new tutor for English. So I know she's right. in high school. You're but right. I think yeah. I got the impression that that kid, the main boy, like the son, is also high school, but like he would be like upper high school, but he also could be a recent graduate. There's school involved for sure, homeschooling, tutoring, right? So 
I gotta rewatch it and see because obviously it would be a very big choice if it did qualify. So, uh, slumbers out there, if you have an opinion on this, let us know. The other thing I was gonna mention too about just Letterbox is I, uh-huh. I'm saying the nerd thing in tongue and cheek. You have to kind of be a nerd a to have a film podcast and be to be listening to this podcast right now. Sure. So, <laughs> I think more the Letterbox crowd listens than the Rotten Tomatoes crowd. And Rotten Tomatoes was the whipping boy on this show for a while anyway. So everyone's got to take a turn, I guess. Yeah, I just think that Letterboxd and like Metacritic, which I know you don't use, are better arbiters of what is considered good or bad than Rotten. Like I have a whole, you know, like my whole anti-trailer stance also kind of not the same thing, but also carries over to Rotten Tomatoes that I don't think that's a great barometer, but at least what you do in using both the critical and the audience, I think that's a fairer assessment than just being like, oh yeah, Rotten Tomatoes, there's a sticker on the box. It says it's good. I'm going to like this movie. Like I don't think that's, I just don't like the way that they do it. But I think using the more, the more data you have, Brian, the better. And so you're bringing in Letterboxd, if you bring in Metacritic, whatever you want to do, the more power you have, the better it's going to be. Well, it's funny because, <laughs> I mean, I know we're skipping ahead, but the segment ends with me saying, we don't care about any of that. What's yes, your score? exactly. So <laughs> exactly. So at the end of the day, that's all that matters and that's fine. But it is, it is very interesting because, and I know you are someone who is very against this. I've definitely become more against this from doing this show. Pretty much everyone on this network is against this. But there are so many people that you and I probably both know who see that a movie gets bad reviews and then just don't watch it. And that's always sad. That always pisses me off. Yeah, and like I've, I've fallen into that camp a little bit recently, but that's because I'm trying to be more conscious. It's not like watch a movie or do something else. It's like, do I watch a good movie that I haven't seen? Like I watched The Karate Kid for the first time, and I was like, I could watch that or I could watch like just some new movie. And I think, you know, I've always been Mr. New Movie, like at least in the last handful of years and trying to watch as much new stuff as possible. But I feel like there's so much out there, and I don't really mean this as a knock because there's still so much great stuff, I think, but there's so much out there that just like, yeah, that was okay. And I, I'm just trying to find a better t- a better way or a better experience of those two hours. And so, you know, there's new movies like that Owen Wilson, Salma Hayek movie, Bliss, for instance, or like that new Denzel, Jared Leto movie, The Little Things, right? Where it's like, yeah, this could be good or it could be bad. I'm not sure. And like, if, if I had unlimited time, if I had nothing but time, shout out to you fast, that <laughs> I would watch everything. But, you know, should I watch that instead of like rewatching like The Godfather, which I've been, I don't know. You know, it's like, a, it's a weird thing to balance. Ooh, ooh. Right? That's something as we discuss the future of High School Slumber Party. Oh. I, I fear a lot, to be honest with you and all you listeners out there. Like next year, the year after, who knows what it's going to be. But there's going to be months of movies that I've never seen. And just have mediocre reviews. So I think at that point, it's just about, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But. Well, I think you still have tons and tons more. And there's actually two that I'm going to bring to you that I don't think have been mentioned on the show yet. My two recommendations for the movie that we're talking about today, the Rent to Get One Free, both of the ones that I have lined up for you, I think are new to the podcast. And I'm not 100% sure that one's a high school movie. I think it is. But like... There's a bunch out there that you have not covered yet, like obvious classics, but also just stuff like this that I was like, wait, why haven't I ever made Brian watch Nerve before? I love this dumb movie. I have problems with it. But like there's movies like this that exist that we can find more. We can stretch the dollar a little bit further. But then I'm I'm still waiting for a high school slumber party to graduate and go into the college years. Then you got a whole more four years or more. You're just let's get you degree after degree. (laughs) The doctor years. That'd be great. Right. Like just like. 
uh, movies about medical school, all four of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like you get like your first job, and you just cover House because you're like a med student, just like you know, <laughs> season four of House or whatever. Like after Cameron and like after the three main doctors, like all are like, hey, we want to do other shows or whatever. They're like, okay, cool. We're gonna bring in hotter, younger people. It's like, okay, there's Olivia <laughs> Wilde. Hello. <laughs> That's just you know, you could do that. Wedding movies, then movies about having kids, movies about buying a oh. home. That is, that's the weirdest long-term con for a podcast ever. Like, it's just you growing up. It's like Boyhood, the podcast, but like you start in high school and like, you know, eventually when you're like 95, like you're doing the movie Amour, which is about like, you know, old people dying. It's like, yeah, that's the nature of the podcast. That's how I die. Like literally talking about a movie on my deathbed, finally catching up with the lifetime of movies. <laughs> Not lifetime. And Nicole movies. was Nicole's right there next to you, you know, on your deathbed with you. Like, you know, you're both like you've you've had this wonderful like seventy year long marriage and like everything's been great. She's like, but Brian, you told me it was gonna be four years and here we are <laughs> seventy years later and you're still telling people to hit that like and subscribe Gleep Glorp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Nerve, I mean, what you mentioned, I'd never mm-hmm. even heard of this movie until you brought it up to me. Well, I forgot when you brought it up to me. I think it was the end of last year. Yeah, because like there was a couple movies like, you know, I've had my Brian must cover this. And then there's other movies where I'm like, I really want to be on the episode. And I was like kind of thinking about things. And I, re- I realized I remember this. One. I was like, oh, wait, this is a high school movie. Like, let's do this one. And then I know that you were you know, looking for, you're having some scheduling stuff. I'm like, this is a great movie. Like, this is a short movie. It's one that's very easy to watch. I'm like, I wouldn't mind rewatching it this week and talking about it. So here we are with Nerve. Nerve. And Jenny O'Connell, past guest, always likes to mention this. And it's used more for this purpose lately because it has nothing to do with this, but a lot of bisexual lighting in this film. Yes, yes. I learned (laughs) that term from her. Yes, bisexual lighting. Is it also trans lighting or is it just bisexual lighting? I think trans lighting is technically different. It's like the blues, the pinks, and the purples, and I don't know how it all goes together, but basically that's my aesthetic. Like, as I was, you know, I messaged you over the weekend when I was thinking about, like, you know, I watched it this morning, but I was trying to do my homework in advance and being like, well, what movies could I recommend? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, not that the well has run dry, but I try to recommend movies that are thematically or some kind of way related to, I mean, I think it's kind of the point of the thing. It's not just like, hey, here's two good movies. It's like two <laughs> movies that kind of do with this, right? And I was so struggling and I was looking on your beloved Letterboxd. I found a list that was like, let me see if I can find the exact name of the list. It was like... Movies with like a synth bass score or something. Hold on. It was like this. And the point of the story is that like, I'm like, oh, this is like my aesthetic in a list of movies. Movies with a synth score slash neon aesthetic. And it's like all Refn movies. And it's Nerve. And it's like Suspiria, like in Jalo movies and Fincher movies and David Lynch and like horror and Terminator. I'm like, yeah, this is all my favorite movies. Like, yeah, this is exactly what I love in a movie. And I don't mean this in a creepy way, but you also enjoy a young starlet in the film, right? Like that's something. Oh, I sure do. (laughs) That's something you enjoy too. Two of my young starlets are in this movie. Ooh, I can't wait to talk about them, but let's not get too ahead because I'm sure a lot of people are not familiar with Nerf. So let me read the back of the old DVD. Cool. Industrious, industrious, yeah. Industrious high school senior V. Delmonico is tired of living life on the sidelines. Pressured by her friends, V decides to join Nerve, a popular online game that challenges players to accept a series of dares. It's not long before the adrenaline-fueled competition requires her to perform increasingly dangerous stunts. When Nerve begins to take a sinister turn... Ooh... 
V finds herself in a high-stakes finale that will ultimately determine her entire future. Pretty simple, yeah. pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so what is your history with Nerve? I usually ask the guests, like, why'd you pick it? But when I started watching, like, again... All the aesthetics you mentioned already, so I get that. So what's your history with Nerve? I do like that my aesthetics have been so well documented that when people watch a movie, they're like, oh, yeah, like I get it. Like I remember I tweeted about Vox Lux, which is the movie where Natalie Portman becomes a pop star, mm-hmm. and Tobin responded. He's like, I hated this movie, but like I knew exactly while I was watching that you were going to love it. And I was like, yeah, like this is <laughs> it's exactly my kind of movie. <laughs> so this movie came out in summer 2016, and I was still living in Austin. It was right before I moved back. And I had a, I think I got a free ticket to see it. Like I've had Movie Pass, or I had R.I.P. Pour one out. I had Movie Pass for years, and I used Movie Pass all the time at Draft House. But I think I got a free ticket because there was a Q and A with Dave Franco, and so I saw this movie in theaters, the Q and A by Dave Franco, and I don't remember a single thing he said. So that tells you how you know exciting he was. <laughs> what the interesting thing, and you might have, I don't know how much scholarship you wrote about this, but this movie came out the same time as Pokemon Go, and so there was a really interesting dynamic. And I, th- I do remember that part of the Q and A where people were talking and they were asking about like you're basically making a movie about a viral app that people get sucked into like this other world kind of and like that's happening in real life question mark and it was like yeah like it's weird timing so like it kind of it kind of worked hand in hand like that pokemon go and the app nerve could not be more different i don't think but they're both kind of ar vr whatever immersive apps of one kind or another that you know suck in a whole generation of young people and so I saw it then. I've seen it like three or four times since in its entirety, you know, maybe three or four times total. But I've also seen like three or four more times where I turn it off like an hour in. Oh. Which is like a very rare thing because I don't like this ending of this movie at all. I think it drops the ball in all sorts of ways. But I think the first hour is so good and fun. And I don't mind when this movie has to get to a point where like we need to have consequences play out. Like I don't mind. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm like, I just want to have good things happen in movies. But like, I just think that this movie just drops the ball so hard in how it resolves things. And we'll get to that when we get to that. But like, there's a certain point I'm like, yeah, I've, I've had my fill of nerve. Like I have the soundtrack, I have the look, I have the fun and then I'm, I'm out. So I've seen this movie a bunch only, you know, about half the time do I stick it all the way through. That was my sentiment as well as a first time watcher that the premise and the first half of the movie i don't even want to say first half because i think more than half maybe the hour mark who knows i wasn't like keeping the time code but that was so much stronger than Mm -hmm. the way this ended i have a lot of words for the ending i don't know if they're necessarily like it's not like i hated the ending but drop the ball is a better word uh, yeah you know yeah again this is strong too but it also kind of feels like it betrays itself does that make sense you know (laughs) like yeah, this is the first time that I was, I think, aware, or maybe I had forgotten that it was based on a book. It was based on a book that came out in 2012, and apparently the entire book takes place in Seattle. So I don't know if this is like a uh, kind of a spiritual sequel or whatever, because they reference in the movie a couple times, like the game that they played in Seattle, right? And so like, oh, this is better than the game in Seattle or whatever. So apparently the book all takes place, like it's it's the characters, like it's V Delmonico and whatever, but I've not read the book, but like it all takes place in Seattle. And so I don't know if they're trying to be true to that and it just didn't work. I don't know, but like what frustrates me the most about the ending of the movie is that I feel for a good portion of the movie, this movie gets technology right. 
Like it does a really good job of, you know, implementing social media, both on screen into their lives and like the way the app is set up is pretty cool. And then like they're like, okay, we're going to explore the dark web. And it's like, you don't understand shit about dick. Like I don't understand like what, like where did this come from? It just feels like the whole end is kind of fantastical in a way that betrays the first hour or so. And I think that there's a lot of movies out there, rightfully so, that are made to kind of deal with technophobia. Like there's that movie based on a book, The Circle, which we covered Frank's The Memories, which is awful. Like (laughs) one of the worst books I've ever read and one of the worst movies that I've ever seen. Like I just do not like that movie or the book. You want to hear me, Mike, and our friend Jess just absolutely just tear into it because we're like, I can't believe that we watched this again. Thanks for the memories. But that movie is all about like Facebook is evil and like we should all be scared of it. And like that's not wrong, but I think you have to go about it with a little bit of tact. And I feel like here it's like, oh, social media can be dangerous. Like, yeah, that's a good premise. But like the way it plays out is like, what? So I don't think it's actually that it comes from everything I read doesn't indicate that that aspect comes from the books and actually from the filmmakers. So you're right. Surprise, surprise on this podcast, but it is based on a YA novel by Gene Ryan. And the screenplay was adapted by someone named Jessica Scharzer, who she's mostly known for writing American Horror Story episodes. She was either nominated or has won Emmys for those. Okay. Our lead here, Emma Roberts, is in a lot of American Horror Uh Story, so maybe there's a connection there. Who knows? But the directors are Henry Joost and Ariel Schulman. They broke onto the scene with Catfish, yeah, the the documentary, not the show. Mm-hmm. I think they produce the show, but you know, like I think t- so too. Yeah, they're not. Ne- they're, what's his name? Nev. Yeah, yeah, they're not that dude. I just wanted to make right. clear in, in case anyone was like, "Oh shit, no," because like that's the most famous guy from Catfish. But they also did some of the Paranormal Activity sequels, and they were really insistent here, and I, I guess the producers as well. To have this be PG-13. Right. They wanted it for that younger audience, kind of the high school audience. Again, the quote I read was, we we weren't interested in making a gross torture movie. And I think this ending, which apparently is different from the book, and the tone is apparently very different from the book. The tone of the book is very dark and, and more of that whole technophobia thing you were mentioning than the movie ended up being. Again, I've never read the book, but apparently that came from the filmmaker's desire to make it more sanitized for whatever reason. I read that, like, I get, because they wanted to have people who were, like, 13, 14 seeing this and kind of being exposed to, like, the dark underbelly of social media. Like, I understand that desire and that inclination, but I think that if this movie was rated R, I think it would be a lot more free to go where it wants to go and not feel the need to kind of censor itself or step on its own toes, because it feels like this is literally a game where life and death is on the line, right? And, like... It's like, oh, but we can't show blood or nudity or whatever. Like there was like a sex stare that they they axed because mm-hmm. it was gross and weird. Like I get that. Like I, I get not wanting to show that, but I just feel like there are so few PG thirteen movies. And like I don't want to again like what you were saying before about like reading a bad review and whatever. Like I don't want to prejudge movies, but like when I see a movie that's like a thriller or horror or whatever that's PG thirteen, it's like oh, like this probably isn't going to be good. Which is why like Happy Death Day is such a miracle. Because they're able to do so much within the PG-13 constraints. Like, that is genuinely one of my favorite horror movies, and it's PG-13. Like, it's just, I don't know how you did this. Like, this feels like a magic trick. But, like, this, it just feels like you're limiting yourself, like, to have a broader audience, but you're kind of sacrificing the art 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's something studios should do, and maybe it was the studios. I don't think that's something filmmakers should try to do, to teach lessons with their movies like that, you know? I think right. just try to make the best story possible, and I think it, it suffered from that. I don't need more gore and stuff like that. Like, that's not what I need, but I don't need you trying to teach me a lesson at the end either, and that's really right. what it felt like. <laughs> In terms of this cast, Emma Roberts, who I mentioned, she's our lead here. It goes without saying. Julia Roberts' niece, Eric Roberts' Mm -hmm. daughter. What are your feelings on Emma Roberts? I'll just ask you that first. Oh, I love her. I don't know that she's a great actor, and I don't know that she's in a lot of, like, she. I think she is just in a lot of, (laughs) like, the movie I associate her with most, and this is a terrible association, there's a movie called Little Italy, Hmm. where it's just, like, a rom-com that had this get made covered, but, like, it's all shot in Canada, and, like, you can tell, like, it's for New York, but, like, it's supposed to be... New York, but it's Canada, and like it's just like you weren't like everybody's just like speaking accents. Like it's just like one of those kind of like I don't know how you like just didn't, but like I think she's like very charming. I think she's a good actor. I think she's in interesting stuff from time to time. I like that she's able to poke fun at herself. Like one of my favorite. Th- I mean, you know, uh, Jenny, if you're listening, I'm going to praise Ryan Murphy here for a second. So cover your ears but i think like ryan murphy's scream queens was like a great great series and i think she was great on there i think there's like she's got this persona right like this kind of like goody goody very pretty preppy kind of girl like almost like a heather right like from the movie heather it's like Mm -hmm. that's just kind of how i see her and she's able to poke fun at that i think from time to time like in that movie the hunt that came out on vod last year that was like covid scrapped or whatever and like in scream queens like i think she's a really good job of doing that and i think you know, I think she probably could have been replaced by a bunch of different people here, but I like her in this movie because I think it's like a fun type of role and I think she does well with it. I don't know that this is one of her best, like most memorable roles. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. I feel like she's someone who maybe doesn't necessarily fit in 2020. I mean, that sounds bad, but like, because this is 2016 anyway, but they were making more silly rom-coms like maybe the one you mentioned little italy in previous years and previous decades even that they're not so much doing now and maybe she's not interested in doing them you can do one for i mean she made another one last year called holiday you're right i was just gonna say you can make one for Mm -hmm. netflix and as soon as the words are coming out of my mouth i'm like oh shit she did and see that's really her niche but like that is not a popular niche these days like her aunt and i i hate to compare her to family but you know we're gonna do it because it just exists right her aunt made a living off of it for like, what, 10 straight years of just doing movies like that. And some of them were considered very, very good for the time that I think if they came out today, people would be like, what the hell is this corny movie about? And I, I love a lot of them. So I'm, it's not me criticizing them. But I, I, I do feel like, though, with like the comparing it to Aunt Julia and like there is a reference in this movie, like when she mentions how expensive yeah. the dress is, like that's a nod to Pretty Woman or whatever. But like. I think the reason this is something we've talked about either on mic or off mic about acknowledging and realizing that the average movie today is better than it's ever been. But like Mm. there's more movies and so more of these are just going to fall away. And I feel like the reason some of these like stand up and like remain in our consciousness, like something like a pretty woman or a runaway bride or my best friend's wedding or whatever, Notting Hill, like they are all kind of just like, you could say like, just like whatever rom-coms, but like they're elevated and memorable because of her performance. Right. Mm. And, like I I can't imagine how hard it must be to be an actor where your aunt is Julia Roberts. Like I, I, <laughs> I just do not wish that on anybody. Like, you know, I from all social media purposes, they have a great relationship. But like to follow in 
the footsteps of like America's most beloved actress, it's like, oh, uh, that's got to be impossible. And I say that because I don't want to criticize, but like, I don't know that Emma Roberts has played roles where like in 20 years you're going to be like, oh yeah, remember that Emma Roberts rom-com? Like they're all going to go away, I think, right? Unfortunately. I agree with that. But like Joey King is someone on this podcast who says gives me a lot. Oh, the next Julia Roberts. Right, right, right. But I, I also think that the next Julia Roberts is not nearly going to have the impact of Julia Roberts, and not just because of talent, theoretically, and I do think Joey King's really talent, but I just think, again, that's not necessarily what we're doing these days, and I, I hear all your points, and those some of those movies are great, but some of the mo- those movies who are beloved are not that great, that if they came out today, honestly, if you rewatch, a lot of them probably would be Netflix movies. And that's not a criticism of Netflix movies. I like Netflix movies. They just don't have the cultural weight that they used to, if that makes sense, for whatever reason. I think the kind of actor that's like they're, you know, the rom-com actress, if we're being specific, that's going to possibly stand the test of time or like other actresses that I really like, but like that kind of blend over, bleed over into more of the like indie rom-com. Like I'm thinking of like a Haley Lou Richardson, maybe. I'm thinking maybe of a Zoe Dutch, maybe. Also, maybe somebody like a like a mumblecore pot. I don't know. Like, it feels like there's got to be something more, and as opposed to just kind of the disposable. Like, I truly do wonder how many of these Netflix movies, even the good ones, are going to remain like cultural touchstones. Like, as much as I enjoy that first to all the boys, will people remember that in twenty years? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't honestly like. If you gun to my head, I would say no, and it has nothing to do with the film. It doesn't feel like that, you know what I mean? Right. Who who knows? We'll see. But I also wonder, like, if in, like, 1990 or whatever, if people thought that, oh, this is a classic. Like, maybe. But I don't know. I don't know. That's a good point. It's a good point. Who knows? We'll see. But it is interesting to talk about with her. Most of what she's doing now is American Horror Story stuff. Who knows what her next act is? But I've always liked Emma Roberts, so I hope it's something fun. We'll put it that way. All right. This next guy you're a big fan of because you went to his Q&A. You're a fan of Neighbors, right? He's in that? He is in that. He's Zac Efron's best friend. You're a fan of 21 Jump Street. You've covered that before, I think, on your Channing podcast, right? No, the Channing podcast died before we could get to it. Oh, really? Okay. That's why I was like, I don't remember that episode, but I figured you would have because it was one of his bigger movies. So whatever. But another sibling or relation into another famous person. But of course, we're talking about Dave Franco. What are your thoughts on Dave Franco? I like him. I think he's okay. Uh, there's a James Franco nod. I don't know if you saw, but uh, when in the opening scene, she's talking to her friend and she's like, I'm not talking JPM, reading the news. And like they open up, it's like, does the NBA have a mascot problem? On the, Ooh, you know, you're obsessed with mascots, different kind of mascot, maybe. Yes. But uh, on the right hand side, there's an, there's an article that just says, is James Franco too smart? And so, <laughs> you know, I just think it's kind of funny that, you know, obviously as a joke, but like, he can't escape his older brother, right? Yeah, and again, the Julia Roberts joke, too. Like, they can't escape. It's weird. It's weird. I don't know what they were going for with that, but I'm, I'm not complaining. Um, and he plays uh, Ian slash Sam, who's the love interest and other player here, if you will. I will say very quickly that he directed a movie that came out last year called The Rental. And it was with Dan Stevens and Alison Brie and couple other people who are not as known as them and uh it's about two brothers and their girlfriends going away for the weekend and one brother cheating on the other brother's significant other and i'm like are you just like <laughs> ripping like every every letterbox review is like 
is he subtweeting James Franco now? So like, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what's going on there. But there's and, then, there's and his wife is in it, play. right? They're married, Alison yeah. and him, right? Uh-huh. So that's so uh-huh. weird. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Good to uh-huh. know. That is interesting. <laughs> Um, the third billed person here is Emily Mead. She plays Sydney, my other beloved. So, what do you know her from? Like, what do you recognize her from? I don't know her from a ton, but she was in the first season of The Leftovers. She played Ooh. Jill Garvey's best friend, who was in very love with Justin Theroux. Yes, my favorite show of all time. That's one of the very few things that Kyle and I agree on. Apparently, that we both <laughs> love Jim Lindelof, as I found out on some recent podcast he was on maybe this one or hoffman i don't remember i think it was a hoffman because i think yeah i forgot why but i think it was a hoffman i don't mean this as an insult but like when you guys get together i'm like i don't know what show it is because it's the same show like i know it's just the same thing like when joe and i get like it doesn't matter what we're talking about but it's just like you're talking you're either watching a hoffman movie or a high school movie or a food movie and like it's all the same thing i mean it's a compliment right it's just like a you just have a thing so i don't i don't know how to differentiate Uh, well i'll i'll say this about you and maybe it's a criticism me maybe it's not but you kyle and joe are all people who are pretty much the same guy, no matter what the setting is, if that makes sense. Podcast wise, I don't, you know. Okay, I mean? okay. Kyle, I would say the most of that, if that makes sense, you know. <laughs> Kyle only has one speed, and yes. that speed is Kyle. <laughs> but you're pretty consistent podcast wise. I feel like the show I'm on. I, I can change. Not that I change my opinion, nothing like that. Like Too but... Fast, Too Forever, After Dark. Oh, for sure, for sure. Check that out, guys. I've already, uh, I've already teased it a lot, but definitely check that out if you can. If you have the means, I highly recommend it. But yeah, like I feel like when I'm not hosting, I'm a little bit looser. Sure, yeah, yeah, I get it. That's where I think you and Kyle and Joe are similar in that respect. I don't know, wait, how did we... Oh, oh, that's you're saying like the show sounds the same. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's why, right? Like, and Kyle and I are going to have that same chemistry no matter what. You and Joe are going to have that same chemistry. That's going to happen from time to time. But, oh, yes. So she's from The Leftovers. I recognize her from that show, The Deuce. Yeah, which is a show that I feel like it's a little bit of a sin that I have not watched because The Wire is so good. And it's like, hey, David Simon makes another show that by all intents and purposes is great with two James Francos in there playing twins. And I watched the beginning. So here's, here's the reason I haven't watched The Deuce. Is because that show came out in the time where I moved back with my parents to save up money to buy my house. I'm like, I can't watch a show about the <laughs> porn industry while I'm living with my parents. Like, I could, but also, like, I can't. And so I was just like, I'll just watch it later. And then, like, season two starts, like, I really got to watch season one. And then I just didn't. And then season three came out, I'm like, I really got to watch it. And I just didn't. So, like, it's on my list. I just haven't gotten there yet but she's in that i know that she's really good in that uh but yeah i just love her so much on the opening the first season leftover she's not in later seasons she's not travel with the garbies down to texas but yeah she's just so weird like it's a type of character she plays in the first season that is just so unique and i think she's so great and so when she's in here i'm like yeah cool what's up emily mead awesome i mean yeah I, i really liked her in this i thought she was pretty cool i'd like to see her in more stuff as well Miles Helsler plays Tommy. He's kind of a stock character in these teen films, to be honest with you. Like, the best friend who's secretly in love with his best friend who's a girl, you know? Yep. He's from a bunch of things. 13 Reasons Why is like a Netflix show that he was big on, for those of you who'd seen it. Uh, Juliette Lewis plays Nancy, the mom. High School Slumber Party All-Star. High School Slumber Party All-Star. She's been in a ton of stuff. Obviously, I probably don't need to go over all of it, but... Even when she's not being sarcastic, this is not a criticism of her acting. I always think she's being sarcastic, so it's weird to see her as like a caring mom character, but I don't know. What do you think of Juliette Lewis here? 
I think she's good. It's a kind of a thankless role, and I feel like it's mm-hmm. the same type of thankless role that Tommy is, where it's like you have one note to hit. Like, you both have to just react to the craziness that V is going through. It's like, oh, my God, money is coming in and out. And Tommy's like, you shouldn't be doing this. And, like, it's kind of – it's not exactly dynamic or interesting. And, like, they do the best with what they got, but it's like – you could be doing more. Yeah, exactly. I, and who knows what the character's like in the book, but it, one note is the perfect way to put it. There's a bunch of one-note characters. But again, this all takes place in a day, too, right? It must be. Well, so most of it is, well, oh boy, that's a really good question. Because I guess she wakes up and that night is the night she's in New York. Yeah, maybe like 30 hours. Maybe like from morning until like dawn the next day, possibly. Yeah, interesting, right? <laughs> Who knows? It's not a lot of time for us to develop characters. Like the Juliet Lewis character, uh, the mom is so like single mom, dead brother. I'm not like trivializing that, but we see it a lot in the YA adaptations of teen films. And it's like, oh, she's she's hardworking. You know how you can tell? She has a nurse's outfit on. You know? <laughs> oh, she works at a hospital. You know what I mean? Like Brian, I want to take this moment to shout out our healthcare heroes. Yes, very important to the show High School Slumber Party. But so shout out to her, uh, Juliet Lewis as Nancy. Quickly, let's run through these. Uh, Kimiko Glenn plays Liv. I just wanted to bring her up because she's in Orange and the New Black with yep. another person here. Samira Wiley. Yep. Oh, Samira Wiley, who's great. Yeah. I really like her, but she plays Hacker Queen. But again, the whole hacker team, I'm torn on. They really reminded me of Disney Channel-esque hackers towards the end. Yeah, the whole hacking at the end is just like, you know, it, it, no, no, just no. <laughs> or I always think of, uh, and I think I even mentioned on the Hackers episode, I always think of that girl in Jurassic Park where she's like, I'm a hacker, you know, like, <laughs> like you name it, we got it. Yeah, but again, I like her, so I just want to shout her out. Oh, who else? Of course. How could I forget? Colson Baker is in this. Machine Gun Kelly. I feel like I've seen him in, in a ton of high school slumber party films. Um, this was apparently his first film. I think he's really good, honestly. Like, not maybe not good. in this, but I think he's a good actor. I think part of what what his appeal is, is, like, he's got a very unique, distinctive look. And just, like, he brings something to the part just by doing that. He was actually just in, I want to say, I don't know if it was a music video or something, but with Sidney Sweeney. Yeah, called Downfalls High. Did you hear about this? I heard about it, but... That's pretty much all. I think someone sent it to me. Oh, he wrote and directed it. He might be, it might be his. And then like Lil Huddy from TikTok. I know how much you love TikTok. (laughs) He's like the main dude with Sidney Sweeney in this thing that Machine Gun Kelly wrote and directed. And I wasn't sure exactly what it was. And then I kind of gave up. That's what it, yeah. Someone sent it to me and I was like, oh, let me include it in High School Movie News. And, or sorry, let Brian Rodriguez include it in High School Movie News. And I just couldn't really figure out like, was it a music video or was it? something else, but he's super talented and clearly has an interest in this subject matter. Yeah, I, I really, really like him. Of course, he was in King of Staten Island and Big Time Adolescence, but what else was he in recently? Oh, he's in that movie The Dirt on Netflix where he was uh, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. Oh, okay, okay. Like, he's just, do- he's just doing cool stuff, and I know for a fact that he's been talked about for a lot of roles going forward, so, all right, I mean... Bring it on. You never know when these musicians turn to actors what they're going to be like, but everything I've seen him in, I've enjoyed his performance. I'll put it that way. No more ringing endorsement than that with Mr. Slumber Party saying you get the stamp of approval. Is he going to be up for a high school Slumber Party Hall of Fame nomination next year? Uh, I don't know. I don't know because... Too early. I get it. Too early and 
he'd be an interesting case, right? Because he's not technically a teenager. He could still be in our Hall of Fame. That doesn't disclude him. Even in this, I'm not even sure how old he is. We know our set of characters from the school who know each other are high schoolers. Do you think Dave Franco is a high schooler in this? I know he's kissing high school girls, but he's also from Seattle and he's here. So, you yeah. Know what I mean? So this is what I was trying to think of, like, because I know that we got your all important questions. You know, your your Cameron Fry, your your Long Duck Dong, your Wooderson. I'm trying to think about these ahead of time. And I'm like, everybody in this movie is like close to 30. Like, I don't think any of them look like high schoolers. Like, they kind of do. But I think they only kind of do because they all kind of look like each other's ages. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, I don't remember what movie you did, you had recently, but it was like one of them was sort of like that, where it's like everybody's like 24. And so, like, it, that might even have been words on bathroom walls. It's like, oh, yeah, like, it's not exactly high school, but like, it feels like high school because it's all of an age group. I think Dave Franco gets a pass because he is an out of towner and he could just be any age. But Emma Roberts is like 27 when she's making this movie or something <laughs> like that. And she, like, her, her name is V99. Which I guess means like she was supposedly born in 1999, so she's like 17 here. But she was like born in 91, so she's like 25, 26 or something. So like it's just what? what? Yeah, and what I found weird is at the time she was also like already playing adults in other movies. That's always a weird thing to return to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a little uh, confusing. And, you know, maybe we'll dive in a little bit more or not later when we do the questions. Oh, I just had a really great idea for another episode. I'm going to change one of my uh, rent to get one free, I think. But yeah, okay. Sorry. Keep going. Ooh, I'm curious. I'm curious what you took off, what you put on. So can't wait. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it for the cast. I wrote down Mark John Jeffries as well, who was like a child commercial star. Cool. (laughs) I always wonder what happens to these child stars. So I was like, oh, I remember that guy's name. So let's let's talk about the movie though. Let's get into it. Favorite scenes, moments. I know you really enjoyed the first part of this film. Yep. I do think it's really effective in quickly getting you into the game and understanding the game and you know, if we want to call it a game. One character literally says it's like truth or dare without the truth part, which you're like, "Okay, <laughs> I get it." But it also makes sense like why this would be so addictive if theoretically this was allowed and out there and stuff basically it's a game where people win money everyone's like watching and you just have to do these dares um i don't really know how else to explain it pokemon go yes but pokemon go was rather harmless except i remember when it was like really popular justin bieber was in my neighborhood and i'm not saying i live in a bad neighborhood but it's not a neighborhood justin bieber would frequent or anything like that and he was he had a limo searching around for these pokemon and i know people got obsessed with it like that but it wasn't dangerous like this game could get but at the same time even the other day with the whole uh everything with the gamestop stuff and robin hood and stuff right like the easiness of an app creates that distance between what you're actually doing and what's happening in reality. Sure. You could vote for someone to die, and it's not that big of a deal because you're just watching on your phone. Until you get a push notification that says you are an accessory to murder. It's like, oh, no. I didn't realize this was real. (laughs) That premise falls apart towards the end, too, because like when that final battle, if we want to call it, that happens. They're in this like fiery warrior-style coliseum where there are Uh thousands of people watching... (laughs) And it's like, whoa. So that's another thing I didn't like, too, because I liked that premise of, like, you're a step removed from something. Think about Twitter, too. All the haters on Twitter are people. All the people who say disgusting, gross stuff on Twitter, they're doing it because they have that wall. They would never say that thing to that person's face or presumably, right? And 
when we again when we get to the ending, it's like oh, suddenly people are saying it and doing it to people's faces. So who knows? Uh, but it's a pretty interesting um, app and concept. So I guess I'll ask first: What do you th- think of the whole concept of the game? Oh, I thought you were going to ask a different question, which is what I meant to ask you when we first started, which is, Brian, are you a watcher or are you a player? Ooh, ooh. Or at the end, or are you a prisoner? It's like, what? No, you can't You can't just add a third class in here. Like, that's not okay. Like, <sighs> I'm definitely a watcher. I think everybody, like, I, I don't remember what I compared this to. Oh, it was, are you a Letty or a Mia on Too Fast? I'm like, anybody who hosts a podcast is automatically a Mia, right? Like, it just, it doesn't, you can't be a Letty. Like, Letty's not hosting a podcast. And I feel like there's nobody who's a player who's, you know, hosting a podcast. I think everybody who has a podcast is automatically a watcher, right? <laughs> fair, so, fair, yes. That's fair, yeah. Like, I think that Kyle might be like, I'm a, I'm a player. It's like, no, you're not. Like, you, <laughs> I just, you're not. The one thing I say, like, I think podcasters would be a different category of maybe maybe more like a less sadistic game maker, you know? <laughs> like, we have more control over, like, stuff in that realm, but not very much. Like, the games we would... Invent would be closer to Dungeons and Dragons rather than jump off this bridge and shoot. Well, someone. so I think that's that's the whole thing, and I don't know where the dares come from. I guess they're crowdsourced, but that was another thing that the directors talked about was that like technology in and of itself is neutral. Like it could be good or it could be bad. Like Twitter is like one of the most powerful tools in like crowdsourcing information. Like when there's breaking news, it's like okay, and then you look at Twitter and it's just like oh, this is filled with a hate speech and you know assassination like it's just like all you know crazy stuff right and so i think that was part of what they're trying to do here so i don't know that the actual nerve app is created to be malicious it's just wound up that way because that's just you know it's a reflection on humanity i guess right okay yes but the first hour that's correct there kind of seems to be this game master right who's punishing you right it's unclear who like Like, I guess the game, I don't know if there's a centralized force, but like Machine Gun Kelly is like, sorry, I got to make the finals. And he cold cocks Emma Roberts. And I guess part of his dare is like knock her out and bring her to the shipping docks or whatever. Right. And so I don't know that there are like these overseers who are doing that, but I think it's like kind of a crowdsource. They don't really go in depth with the game, like how it works. Other than, like, there's no one server. It's all distributed. It's like, okay. I think if you, like, tried to figure out how this operated, you would either, you would probably just get bogged down in the weeds. I was trying to say you would either do one thing or the other, but, like, I think it would, I don't think there's any way you could do that well. I think you just get bogged down in the weeds, and I don't know that there would be any kind of satisfying explanation or answer for, like, wait, how does this work? Like, who's actually, where's this coming from? Well, I would just have rathered it kind of just belong to the people like that and it fall apart because of it some way somehow like maybe there is a creator and they're not in control but to have that tv in the shipping crate and the shipping crate with those led lights in it there was already like a jail set up for people who broke the rules so there has to be some kind of mastermind and i just didn't think it was necessary right like i wish the people who were doing it and daring people and paying the money or whatever had just taken it upon themselves to up the ante that way rather than like, oh, you violated the Fight Club rule or whatever it is, you know? Right. Uh, so, sorry, we were trying to focus on the positive parts at the beginning rather than when it kind of falls apart in the end. So the beginning, one, I'm really loving the aesthetic of this film. I'm sure you agree. Of course. Also, you know I'm a New York guy. This is a very New York film. Brian, are you talking about New York fucking city? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, great bumper sticker. And specifically Staten Island here. 
Emma Roberts like rapping Wu Tang Clan. I didn't think that was gonna happen. It oh did. my god, no, that was uh like. <laughs> You're doing great. It's almost done. Okay, no, I think wherever we're at, we can just stop. I, ow, ow, ow. Hold on, I'm just doing the Y and Daddy. What? Stop, he's he's kidding. Don't listen to him. I really don't like that noise at all. Word up, since the five niggas got garbage down the way. Word up. Cash takes everything around me. Cream it. Check this old fly shit out. Word up. Cash takes everything around me. Cream get the money. Here we go. Check this shit. I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job. Every time that there's like a cool thing in this movie, it's just like, hey, let's get the white girl to rap Wu Tang and like be a little self conscious about it. But like ultimately, the movie's like, this is pretty cool, right? It's like, no, it's not. Or like, you know, when they're getting the tattoo and he like, you know, Dave Franco puts on the music. Like, I think it's a great moment um, where he's like, I know this is going to calm her down. She's in a lot of pain. I'm going to put on Wu Tang. And the tattoo artist's like, yeah, man, good choice. But like, it's like three white dudes, right? And like, she starts <laughs> rapping and I'm like, Oh boy, like, oh, what do you do? What are you doing here, guy? What do you? Oh, and yeah, which was hilarious because again, I thought she was saying it. I'm not saying she can't like them, right? The fact that they went back to it in that scene and she knows all the lyrics and just like, yeah, you know, and like you said, it's played as a cool moment than less of like a funny, ironic moment. I don't know, it was silly, but hey, it was fun watching Emma Roberts rap. Like you have a built-in mechanism in your movie where people are always watching you, which she conveniently forgets to talk shit about her best friend. Like that feels so artificial and fake. Like she knows that she's always on camera and yet she's going to talk shit about Sydney, right? Or what, you know, like about Emily Mead. It's just like, no, you know that you're being watched. Like that's the whole premise of your last like six hours. Why are you just freely, but whatever. But like you have a mechanism in your movie where people are always watching you like it would have been so funny if like they bring up the comments on screen and dave franco like changes the music it's like no sorry like the watchers really hated you rapping like i said i'm sorry but like he, you know he's co-opting black culture and like we just got it and like he puts on like taylor swift or something you know what i mean like there's the opportunity there but like the filmmakers are like no this is a cool moment and you're gonna like it and it's like no no <laughs> And then another question I had in terms of just like the awareness, the only parent who seems to be aware of what's going on here is Juliet Lewis. And that's like way too late. It is amazing to me that there's no kind of adult supervision of any level. And I get it. Like they say that's a problem with social media and TikTok and everything. But when a girl like a cheerleader flashes her butt in front of the entire school, she's probably going to get in trouble, right? Like someone's going to say something, a teacher there, or someone's going to say something in this day and age, in this world. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there doesn't seem to be consequences. No. Like that? Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah. No, there's no consequences whatsoever. And like if the movie had taken even one scene like where she goes to the principal's office and he just like... He like winks. He's like, you know, I play two or whatever. Like, that's all you need. But it's just like, no, we don't we don't give a shit. Like she just, you know, this whole world apparently is so enraptured by nerve that it's like, yeah, okay, sure. Anyone who grew up in the 90s, early 2000s knows how quickly an app or even pre app, you know, an AOL chat room that's meant for younger people 
will get infiltrated by a creeper. So it's very shocking that even like you didn't see too many creepers involved. There was that one guy that kept showing it like the office watching nerve, but it was mostly like for kids by kids. I don't mean kids, but for young folk, if you will, like maybe 15 year olds to 23 year olds, it seems like. And I know that's again, probably just because of the app, but amazing to me, amazing to me that they didn't do something like you suggested with the principal being like, you know, I'm in on it. And maybe that's because they wanted a PG-13 movie and they didn't want to show authority figures doing that but they have to exist right i don't know like and you know the mom is so lost like they the juliet lewis character kind of gets a pass because she's like literally working an overnight it seems like she like gets out of a page like we don't see this exactly but like, it seems like she gets out of a patient's room like a patient just died or she like, cleaned a bedpan like just like you know the thankless work of a nurse shout out once again to our healthcare heroes and she like feels her phone vibrate she's like $500 like it's just like I don't need to deal with this right now like I don't know what's going on so like she gets a pass I think for like not understanding the game but like there are no other adults like the only thing about approximating adults are like retail employees and they're all just like fucking kids just like but like they're not against the game they're just against like 18 year olds thinking they can afford a four thousand dollar dress right so I don't yeah know. at Bergdorf Goodman so I'll ask you this question Joey all this shit talking we're doing why did yeah. I still enjoy so much of this movie? Because it's fun. Because there's so much of this movie that's fun. The soundtrack is great. Oh, yeah. So, like, another thing that I really like about this movie, there is a, a, a screenwriting book that I think a lot of people have given backlash to since it became so popular. But it's a book that is, I think is taught in a lot of screenwriting classes and that Tobin taught to us called save the cat and it's where blake snyder breaks movies down into like different component parts and like part of like one of the main parts is like in the second act is the fun and games and like that here is like basically from the time that v starts playing until they get to the party and she like and then you know emily mead's character like freaks out or whatever there's like a solid 30 minutes of this movie that's just like a blast and like dave franco doing karaoke on like diner tables and then making out and then them riding into the city listening to like you know electric love by borns like mm -hmm. there's so much good stuff in this movie it's just like fun it looks great it flies through the leads are like you know generic and handsome in a way that like is there's nothing offensive about it and there's a lot to enjoy it's just that like when inevitably conflict needs to come the movie just is like I, I don't know how to resolve this yeah yeah it's so interesting because watching this i wasn't like oh man what the fuck that rule doesn't make sense or this is stupid like analyzing it yes but watching it i'm like oh these are pretty colors <laughs> you know and this seems fun i'm like oh shit don't do that those kind of moments and you know the dynamic with her friend how it is silly that she says it on camera and she doesn't realize that every single thing happening here is part of the game that is silly but it is interesting too that her friend is kind of using her for a lot of the movie uh, well not a lot of the movie like, seems like it that she's kind of using her and is like the, that kind of friend who wants all the attention and you see her getting jealous when her like dorky best friend is catching up to her in the game and eventually passes her like there are some cool high school tropes that are taken to like the higher degree because they're in this nerve-wracking game no pun intended <laughs> where you could die you know yeah like, mm -hmm. i was like actually enjoying that kind of stuff um and the soundtrack like you mentioned there's this one song that kind of uh, alludes to the breakfast club let's see it was called lucky i got what i want by jungle and it says like you know it keeps saying the don't you forget about me part of the breakfast club uh simple mind song there so you know sure. allusion to teen film i like it 
I mean, what were some of maybe some scenes or moments you really enjoyed from the, that first uh, 60 minutes? I love them shoplifting the dress. Like, it's like a mini heist. Mm-hmm. And then the kind of re- a heist in reverse where she has to, like, they have to streak out of there just in their underwear. Like, I think that's a blast. I think there's real tension when he's doing the motorcycle ride, the blind motorcycle ride, having to get up to 60 miles an hour. Like, I think everything, literally everything up to the part where, like, hey, let's go have pizza and talk about our feelings. It's like that, <laughs> everything up to that point, I think, is a really, really good, fun movie. I think early on... The Emily Mead stuff, like, with the flashing your butt and, like, going around, like, making fart noises in Times Square or whatever. Like, all that is really fun, too. I just think that when the movie, like, it just gets to a point where it's like, uh. But, like, the motorcycle ride, getting a tattoo until the Wu-Tang stuff, uh, the shoplifting of the dress, like, the, the ride into the city, the diner stuff. Like, there's a lot of stuff here that's just, like, really, really enjoyable and really fun to watch. Yeah, and it has a really, like, frenetic energy to it, too. Mm-hmm. And... Again, I'm not saying make this into a rom-com, definitely, because it just doesn't look like a rom-com or anything like that. But I was enjoying aspects of it until I found out that, you know, he's the guy from Seattle. Because at the end of the day, his excuse is that, oh, I'm trapped in the game. Someone has to win the game. We need to destroy the game. I get all that. But I don't know if I would be able to be like, oh, I love you now if I'm Emma Roberts after the dude did all that. Because I would question the sincerity of the entire night. It's scary and complicated and and weird, and it, it turns into this, again, weird thing that I don't particularly understand. But that first act, I'm following along, or first and second act, I guess. I'm following yeah. along. I'm loving it. That motorcycle chase is, su- not, not chase, sorry. The motorcycle get to 60 miles per hour with a blind shield thing over your helmet is super intense and scary and thriller-esque i loved it and just back to the uh the department store scene i like that too because we've all been in situations where like the clerk is looking at you or whatever and it's like you can't afford this right and now she has to do it and she has to try the dress on please don't undress the mannequin sorry would you like to try this on Mm -hmm. let me see if i have it in your size thank you if you could hurry up, I'm I'm a little bit late for for a party. Cute. Okay, right this way. If you need anything else, just let me know. Okay, thank you. Oh. All right. Okay. Dressed. And by the way, she looks great in that dress. He looks yeah. great in that. And it's kind of like a cute meet cute. And when you think about sure. that moment and then where it ends up, you're like, holy shit, like a fiery Mad Max Inferno place. It's just like, <laughs> it's, yeah, where's Tina Turner when you need her? Oh, I wish. But <laughs> I, I mean, I guess that's all I have to say about that. I think the movie does a poor job of setting up the V and Sydney antagonism. Like, I think it's just like, wallflower v in love with this guy and emily mead sydney is like this outgoing you know you know popular girl right head cheerleader or whatever and the movie's like oh yeah but like also fuck her it's like wait what no like you can't like just like she doesn't do anything at all mean except for like ask jp out with like but that doesn't even feel like unforgivable like it just feels like emma roberts character is like harboring a real resentment and grudge against her friend that I don't think is ever actually explored. And so when all of a sudden she kind of becomes the villain of the movie, it's like, where did that come from? And like, I I don't know how you do it. Like I haven't spent time thinking about this, but like 
if you were able to rewrite the movie so that like she's still involved too that there's not this like kind of semi-artificial tension like i know that in the end everybody comes together to take down nerve like that's fine i guess but like if you have sydney still involved throughout i think there's an interesting dynamic to at play there i don't like her basically being used as an object as a way for like conflict to arise it's like you didn't earn that i like some of it because i think people do have these like resentments with their friends that are kind of unexpressed yeah i agree with you in a sense like the way that the arc goes though her best friend and she sees sincere but then you know maybe they're secretly having some resentment but then she learns her lesson and they're all friends again yay (laughs) if that's going on fine but it is so odd too that like she's so her heart is so open for this random guy who's kind of tricking her whether he's forced to or not that's fine but then the friend gets like lost in the shuffle so she i agree with you she is used maybe she shouldn't have been her friend you know I, i don't know Maybe she shouldn't have been that close at the beginning. Maybe they set it up weird that way. And we also have here what I'm going to start calling the Varsity Blues conundrum that like Emma Roberts, who is gorgeous and by the way, <laughs> is still it's still the niece of Julia Roberts, is like, yeah, guys always like Sydney. Nobody ever likes me. It's like, no, what are you talking about? Like, you're beautiful. You've got skills and talents. You're a great photographer. Like, I get that that might just be kind of like high school, you know, lack of confidence. But it's the same thing where it's like, how could anybody ever possibly choose anyone other than Ali Larder? It's like, well, you know, (laughs) because there's other people who are like almost as beautiful, but like actually have interest, right? So it's just like, I don't know. But like that whole like, oh, I'm kind of the ugly duckling and she's the hot friend. It's like, no, what? What? No, stop it. Yeah, it's something we see in all these scene films, which is hilarious. And and I, I might have said it on a previous podcast or maybe just to friends or whatever, but if you can switch those two characters and still have the same plot, <laughs> then, it, then what's the effectiveness, right? Like, right. is she just ugly, quote unquote ugly, because she's smart? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> which makes no sense. But that's been going on in like the history. But also like film. Emily Mead's not set up to be dumb. True. Yeah, yeah. She's just pretty and a cheerleader, right? And like, is the movie saying she's dumb because she's making fart jokes? But it's like, the watchers made her do the fart jokes, right? So it's like, I don't, like, pick, I don't know. Well, it it says she hasn't gotten into a college yet, but the implication is that's not because (sighs) she's stupid or anything like that. The implication, I saw it as like, you know, maybe she's not taking things as seriously as, sure, okay. as Emma Roberts, but at the end of the yeah, day... Yeah, but nobody nobody in this movie is taking things as seriously as Emma exactly. Roberts. Like, she's... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It makes... You know, I don't know. It's one of those silly things that I'm going to chalk it back again to the filmmakers maybe trying a little bit too hard to make this a YA movie, if that makes sense. Sure, Rather yeah, than just yeah. making it a good movie. <laughs> because those are tropes you'll see if... And I know you don't watch this, and I don't think... Frankly, many listeners of the show watch this. But if you watch Nickelodeon shows and you watch like Disney Channel shows, like the not the cartoons, but like the live action shows that are really corny, but like the Ariana Grande's of the world get their starts in and stuff, you know? Sure. Yep. Those shows usually have dynamics like that. Like, I'm the ugly one and I'm smart and like, I'm the pretty one and I'm popular. You know what I mean? Like, so there's a lot of playing to that here and i think that answers a lot of questions but then again how do you have a movie like that when you're showing like a cheerleader's butt and you have like dave franco accidentally killing a guy you know what i mean like (laughs) they should have just gone for the if not it doesn't have to be the necessarily the r rating but they should have not tried to appeal to that audience because i think if it's a good movie and they somehow niche it into pg-13 
that those kids are going to find it anyway. Right. Like, and I think that there is no problem or no issue with like taking shortcuts to characterization and being like, oh, she's the hot one. He's the goofy one. Like whatever. Like you can do that, but like build on that. Like don't just rest on your laurels. And it feels like Emily Mead, the Sydney character is like set up as this villain, but like they never actually explore. Like she just like, hey, shows her butt is very popular falls apart right and it's just like if what you're reading into it it's just like this is what happens there are these resentments then like that's fine but i feel like you need to show a little bit of that and i don't think that the movie ever did i just feel like you know maybe it's just my defensiveness that i like her as an actress and i want to see more of her but i just felt like they had just completely mishandled that character for sure for sure so okay joey question do you understand yes. what happens at the end so Okay, so there's watchers and there's players and there's prisoners. So if you snitch, you get you go to jail, and by jail I mean like the docks, like season two of The Wire, <laughs> and apparently you're like automatically put into the finals. Like I don't understand, but like if you make it there, so like this whole thing is apparently like a March Madness style bracket where like there are essentially people just like advancing to further rounds. And so in the end, there's like one final dare and then whoever wins gets a lot of money. And so apparently, I don't know if it's always the final dare because we don't really have history, but the final dare here is that the two guys left, the Machine Gun Kelly character and the Dave Franco character, uh, they are both given guns and like one's supposed to shoot the other and whoever wins, whoever dies, loses, right? Like whoever shoots the other wins, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But there's also the idea that if a prisoner makes it to the end, they're automatically in the finals, I guess. And so Dave Franco somehow coerces the watchers to give him a crazy dare. And so he recreates the Seattle dare where somebody died and he hangs one handed from this like crazy tall suspension crane or whatever. So he goes into the finals against V and then this is when Every other character in the entire movie, like, gangs together, bands together to, like, hack the planet, essentially. <laughs> and, and like, ah, boy, make things bad or good? I don't know how to, but, like, Samara Wiley's like, I'm the hacker queen. I'm going to do this thing. And, like, you have to do this. This is the only way the game can end. And then you can walk away. Are you really believing this bullshit? 
play to win. Play to win. You guys really want one of us to die? For a game? Yes! Yes! Then shoot me! I dare you. Okay. They just pretend that V gets shot because we don't know that Machine Gun Kelly's in on it because he's just like a bad guy the entire time. And so then everybody in the crowd gets a push notification that you're an accessory to murder. Like, oh, this is bad. And then they all delete their app, I guess, to like make it go away. And then everybody, apparently every single user of Nerve deletes the app. And so the app crashes. You put it in great terms that like make I don't know sense. that I did. Like, I kind of <laughs> you know, like in terms of like, okay, I get like the narrative structure you're talking about. I don't agree with all the choices, but one thing I think you left out is how long does it take them to come up with this huge nefarious plan? 10 minutes? It seems like 45 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, like almost no time at all. <laughs> There's a lot of coordination here and a lot of things that need to go right. Like, how did they contact Machine Gun Kelly and be like, I, I know you're the bad guy the whole time, but we got a plan to destroy the whole thing. I guess he was kind of friends with Dave Franco or something along those lines. But like Dave Franco doesn't even in on it. He's like, oh yeah, V told me. Oh to yeah, you're right. Like, you're right. Like V coordinates that. It's like, yeah, you don't know each other. And like, where'd you get a gun with blanks? Like, how did that all come to fruition? Like, <laughs> I will give the movie credit that like being a prisoner from the Seattle game and losing everything, like Machine Gun Kelly's character is going to be anti-nerve, right? Where he's like, fuck this game. Yes. It ruined my life. If there's an opportunity to take it down, I will do so. And so, yes, that's fine. But like, oh, yeah, V told me. I'm like, wait, what? No, no, it can't be V. Like, V is like the one person in this movie that it can't be. Like, it can be anybody else. It just can't be V. <laughs> I was super confused by this. I, were they on? I know she gets on Staten Island Ferry, but it looked like they were on like Liberty Island or like Ellis <sighs> Island or something, which again doesn't make sense. How are all these kids taking it? And how are they have like, there's no park rangers anywhere or, or police seeing them all like start fires. And there's something funny because a lot of them were wearing masks and it didn't phase me. And then I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't now. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just funny to see like half the crowd in in face masks and not for COVID reasons. Yeah. And then it ends up being that uh, she faked her own death to punish everyone slightly for looking at the Nerve app, even though at that point, wouldn't you go to the police, right? <laughs> <laughs> she goes to the police at one point, but that guy either... like There's one of two explanations. I guess one of three. Number one is ACAB, which always possible number two <laughs> he's playing nerve right and he's just like he knows what's going on which i think is probably the more the most likely or number three which i feel like is what the movie wants you to believe but also doesn't actually do is the like he's just like kids are gonna be kids but like he just looks at her like with this maybe it's the actor they cast but like it gave the impression like the movie's like it's just a cop like it's not gonna believe the girl but like it feels like and it looks like he's in on it, right? But yes, you would go to the cops and be like, hey, let me not just talk to the one beat cop exactly. outside this building. <laughs> let me go to like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or whatever and get Detective Jake Peralta on the case. At the very least, right? And that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, I'm just going to make up a scenario. Joey, let's say you find out that the company you work for is doing some very illegal stuff. Oh, my God. And you somehow, you know, you're a morally good person and you need to report it. Would you walk outside and go to a police officer that's like, you know, just in his car and tell you know what I mean? <laughs> like that? That's not what he does. I, so I get why he like ignored it, kind of. Like, even though you're right, the way he smiles looks like he's in on it. But regardless, I 
this is a random story, but I remember when I first moved to the city, me and my friend found a baby rooster on the street. And, cool. And we were like, oh my God, what do we do? We can't just leave it out here, right? So he's like, let's take it into the apartment. My aunt has a farm in Pennsylvania. I'm going to ask her if she wants it, and we'll just drive it out there or do something. Because, you know, we felt compelled. On the way back, we saw a cop just in a car, just like that. And we're like, sure. Hey. I'm like, you, want, you know, we might as well tell him. And I'm like, and I go to the cop, I'm like, hey, I just want to let you know, we found this rooster on the street. I'm not sure what we should do with it, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> he's, he was like, let me check the computer to see if that rooster has a wrap on or something along those lines. And I'm like, all right, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, it's just like, what do you want me to do with a rooster? Like, I don't know. What, what so is, come even on, though guys. this is a much bigger problem than a rooster. Well, also, she does a terrible job describing yes, it. She's yes. like, yeah, they're playing a game and like the game is bad. They're like, you're playing a game? <laughs> That's like the cops probably thinking like, oh, let me arrest this like teenagers partying with cards against humanity or something, you, right. you know. So that's not who you report it to. It, go to the FBI or something uh. on those lines. So after that, I hoped that they would somehow maybe snitch them out to a higher source or whatever. But we also know something about teenagers too, and and not just teenagers. I don't want to pick on them. People they don't keep their mouth shut. Someone is tweeting about this, or maybe. Yeah, sure. Twitter's around twenty. Well, no, if you if you listen to the movie, it's all on the dark web, baby. That's all the <laughs> message boards. Ninety percent of the web is not accessible. It's all on the dark web, where people are just like, like a regular internet forum. They're like, yeah, nerve sure is crazy. Like it's all the most innocuous shit. It's like, yeah, nerve is crazy, right? Like, oh, this is even better than Seattle. It's like you could be saying this anywhere. It's fine. <laughs> I need a ticket to Aruba. No, you don't. What are you talking about? Stop it. <laughs> uh, really quick, I don't know if it was filmed here, but I don't know if you're aware that Susan Sarandon, at least she did, I don't know about with COVID, big ping pong fan, and she owns or owned a ping pong club called Spin in Manhattan. Okay. I think. Oh, okay. I think that was filmed there where the hackers are because it has that. I was like, why are you bringing this up? And I remembered, yeah, because Samir Wiley is playing ping pong. Yeah, okay. Like, they go down into this, looks like it's like underground ping pong thing. And I think that's Real where it was cool filmed. cool ping pong. Yeah, it was basically with the lasers and stuff. Because that's what it looks like when you go there. So, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if they shot it there. Uh, what else was it going to say? Oh, speaking of like New York City stuff. Have you ever seen New York City romanticized on film in this way? Like bisexual lighting and laser way? Because typically it's not, right? Typically it's more... Either the Woody Allen way or that dark kind of taxi driver way. I always see that like movies that take place in like, Tokyo Drift, right? Like two movies that take place in Asia or even some Euro- yeah, I feel European like, movies. I feel like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, I feel like the way that they glorify New York makes it feel like a kind of a Euro rave club scene, which you can get in New York, but I think it's not really what you see there. Like, it, this, it does feel like a very, like, you know, the show that I'm thinking that I watched about a month ago, like Normal People, the Irish show, mm-hmm. which is a high school show, if you ever get the TV, which is great based in the book. But like they go to clubs there and like it's the same kind of lighting, right? Like it's just like that's what you're visioning. But like here it's it's a totally different and it, it's cool. Like it feels at home, but it is, I think you're right. Like I don't think I ever really thought about it like that. But yeah, it's you don't normally see this kind of fetishization, I guess, of New York in this way. In that kind of way, yeah. And the thing that they're doing too, it's not like they're just showing a certain part or aspect of New York that goes along with this kind of neon. They're juxtaposing it with a lot of gothic New York. You see a lot of the Brooklyn Bridge and like the gothic looking bridges 
and that carousel that's in Brooklyn, right? Like that's not necessarily like a neon esque thing, but they're making it that at the subway, right? The New York subway is not like a European subway or a subway in Asia that looks futuristic and new. It's got an old, dirty feel to it. But the lighting and the sound and the the music doesn't have that feel. So I actually thought it was something that was very cool and unique to do for that, again, NYC setting, which is usually played with different notes. So I'd like to see it in other movies because I I think it fit. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really good call. Really good point. Um, Anything else you wanted to mention for Nerve? It's kind of one of these movies that if you want to go along for the the blind motorcycle ride, you kind of just have to watch it. It's not really like a scene-by-scene film. I don't know. It's a movie that I would recommend people watching despite it's fun it's fun it's short i think it's good the one thing the one final note i want to make is she opens the movie by opening her email and being like cal arts is like you have oh it has to be within one day because like the like the deadline to accept is tomorrow (laughs) change your life come to cal arts or whatever and then the movie ends like we know she has a macbook but like she touches her screen it's like macbook's not a touchscreen what are you doing (laughs) i saw i was like what I was like, did she just whip an iPad out and I didn't see it? That's what I thought. But if she was just on the MacBook, then that's really weird. But it's very funny that, like, you know, in the span of a night, her entire life changes. She fixes the relationship with her mom. And also she invents a MacBook with a touchscreen. It's like, what do you know? That's because, like, she's sitting next to her mom and she's like, I'm going to Cal Arts. It's like, OK. Yeah. I do. Oh, also, by the way, speaking of a mom, I mean, there's a dad out of the picture or whatever. We don't, I don't even think we mentioned the dad, but I think the one repeating note that you made in your year end wrap up was a lot of dead parents. We have a dead sibling in this, the brother, which I feel like is not really explored. Like just she's kind of sad and like, OK. So, Joey, I'm glad you bring that up because there was something I wanted to say regarding that, too. Yes, this dead brother keeps being brought up, which is fine, you know, it shows conflict and whatever. But so this movie, if anyone wants to check it out, and I probably should have said it last week, but it's free right now. It's like limited commercial. If you do have cable that has the, I think it's Fox movie channel or one of those things. So um, if you do have either, I have YouTube TV, so I don't necessarily have cable, but if you have some kind of streaming like that, it is uh, free, but it has like three or four commercials and it's not a lot. And um, I paused because I was doing some work, like either right before a commercial or right after a commercial. Um, or it might have been coming in from a commercial. I'm not sure. It was one time where people were, you know, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm confusing myself. Something- it is on FX Now, though, is the yeah. app you're talking about. FX Now and Fubo and IndieFlix, yes. all subscription-based. But FX Now is the one. Yeah. Yes. So a lot of cable companies or your streaming companies automatically have access to that. So something this movie, I think, actually does well and actually is makes it seem more like a 2020 or 2021 film rather than a 2016 film. It it does effectively, not just the text on the screen, that's so simple, but just shows the phonetic pace that we use electronics to communicate today. There's a lot of like gossip about Emma Roberts' character, yeah. V. And so I paused at one of them, and it says something along the lines of, oh, this is... You know, this is something like her trans brother or something like that. Oh, I think it happens again, too. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's never mentioned. I don't know if it was just something that they were just typing randomly. I tend to think that they're not doing that, you know, that they have some control over it. So I'm like, was there some subplot? I thought maybe like her trans brother was going to show up like, oh, he's not dead. He's actually, you know, she now or something along. And I'm like, please don't do that. And it's in bad taste or whatever. And we're getting these hints with the bisexual lighting and the trans lighting, you know, and I'm like, 
is there something I missed here? But it ended up not paying off at all. But yeah, if you like watch the movie again and read some of like the gossip in the background, it mentions once or twice about a trans brother. Of Man, hers. that is wild. I also feel like, you know, not like that, but similarly, the movie is also like, hey, Dave Franco is the villain. Like, look how he's acting. Dave Franco is clearly the villain. Or it's like, Emily Mead is the one behind all this. It's like, no, they're not. It's just the app. It's like, oh, it's always just been the app. But like the way that like the characters are written or the acting, I don't know what it is, but it's like, Dave Franco's got a secret he's hiding. It's like, yeah, like something bad happened to him. It feels like this movie is like trying to like create tension either in overt ways like that or like behind the scenes, like what you're saying. It's like, yeah, but none of that actually comes to fruition. I totally thought Dave Franco was the bad guy. That's what I was like, don't trust yeah, him. Don't trust him. It, it feels it's like he has to be right and nope not at all not even a little bit i'm the bad guy because i'm forced to be you know so but, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> nope uh, that's i mean going through my notes i think that's all i wanted to mention anything else oh sorry one more thing i hate hate the ending where it's like wow that was just a crazy first date huh like he lives in seattle she's graduating <laughs> do you really need this guy who like gave you like the worst 30 hours of your life in your life, Emma Roberts? No. And then there's someone who takes a picture of them. Is that the one who's running it? Were they setting up for a sequel? I don't know. First off, she t- she's like, I'd rather see you in person. I'm turning off my phone now. And she turns her phone off. But then I think it's just like, wherever you go, there you are. It's like somebody's always going to be watching you. Like okay. you can shut down Nerve with a new, but Nerve 2, Nerve Harder or whatever <laughs> is always around the corner. So I don't know. So you said you recently watched Karate Kid. Uh-huh. Mike Manzi is a big fan of Karate Kid style endings. Just like, oh. You know, we, we save the yeah, day free. I had frame. no idea. Like, there's five minutes left, including the credits, and we're still in the tournament. I'm like, I guess this is just where <laughs> we end up. Okay. Yeah, and a free stream on Mr. Miyagi. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if this needed that. I think there's like a sweet spot between. Lo- I would love for this to end on a free stream of Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like, like, it's like, wait, where'd that come from? Exactly that. But I don't, I don't necessarily think we need freeze frames, but sometimes movies need to kind of, uh, not be able to show oh and they got together at the end after all you know like i don't need i don't need that either there's a sweet spot in the middle of that anything else you want to mention <laughs> nope awards time baby all right let's do it you said you were ready for the awards so i'm, I'm excited rarely is a guest ready for the awards so n- new award this year most likely to succeed who came out on top the most in this film is it Emma There's Roberts? There's only one choice. Right? There's only one choice. Yeah, it's V. It's V. V. Okay, yeah. This movie is one that makes it abundantly clear. As you said, every single thing is tied up for her, and her life is pretty much perfect from now on, except if there's another game that gets invented and she gets tied into it. So, yeah. Easy answer there. V, Emma Roberts. For sure. Yep. Next question, Wooderson Award. A character who you would have liked to have seen more of. Anyone here who you're like, huh, I like that person. Let's see more of them. You know, more Sydney, baby. Emily Mead, give me more of her. I've talked about it before, about how you can bring in, you know, write her differently or different dynamic or different relationship. Just like she's too good of an actor to be like, yeah, she's the villain here, but she's not. Yeah, just sharpen it. I agree with that so much. Um, she, I think she's really good on that um, ladder moment. Yeah. I, I think she looks scared, but kind of determined. And, and when the phone drops, the teenage dirtbag phone. Shout out to a song from one of your favorite... Uh... I meant to say that to... Uh, oh, I thought you were going to shout out your uh, your Canadian cohorts. <laughs> okay, I mean, I'll shout out them too. That was... I was going to mention it, but <laughs> I also remember... Didn't you cover that on Cinemakers with, with Kara, right? With Amy Heckerling. Yeah, yeah the Amy movie Heckerling, Loser. Yeah. We also covered it on Tub Talk, on one of the episodes of Tub Talk, I think. Uh, my friend Bob had it in his top 100 songs of the 2000s, I'm pretty sure. So. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's her phone. Uh, when that falls and stuff, like, I thought that was really cool. So, yeah, let's get more of 
her in the film. What was her character's name again? Yes, please. Sydney. 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 Yes, Next sir. question. Long Duck Dong Award, the opposite award. Is there a character whose omission would make this film better? I don't think so. I thought about this a lot. This is the hardest one. I think maybe having her friend Tommy, right? Like the wet noodle, like having him <laughs> like be more characterized, like more fleshed out. But like him and the mom, like they just have one note to hit. So like you kind of need them, but you, like you can't really remove them, but like give them something to do. You know what I mean? But I don't think there's anybody in here that like is offensive or you need to remove. It's just like, Give them more to do, kind of. Like a little bit of Wooderson, a little bit of Long Duck Dong all run, rolled into one. Now that you bring that up, I thought it was interesting that um, Sydney and V are friends, but Sydney has like lackeys of her own that V doesn't have a lot of interaction with. I don't know, it's weird. Oh, by the way, that also reminds me too, because they're all at this party, which is a wild party. This is Fast and Furious level party. Like, I've never oh, been yeah. to a party where the dancing is that consistent and that sexy. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's it's insane. It's insane. And I guess they're all playing the game, whatever. But <laughs> we've probably both been at these parties pre-pandemic where everyone's on their phone. They usually don't end up being people, everyone's dancing and everyone's also on their phone. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> one or the other. So whoever put that party together, bravo, because everyone's on this app the entire time. And they're all like phonetically dancing and loving each other. And everyone's a good looking person. So bravo yeah. on the party. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron Fry Award. This is the one we kind of mentioned earlier, how everyone's definitely older here. But yep. as we mentioned, we don't know if Dave Franco's in high school. Maybe he's just creeping on the high school girl. Who knows? Now that no, yeah. If he's, if he's in high school, I think he's definitely the winner of this award. But if he's not, like, you know, they're all winners. So Yeah. If he's not in high school, then we kind of even it out. And like we say a million times here, if they all look around the same age and no one has just like a five o'clock shadow and like a... a gut and stuff like then I, I think we're uh i think we're okay so no winner but dave franco possibly all right your favorite part joey normally people's favorite part is picking the movies i think your favorite part is rating the movies because you're a letterbox guy but first rotten tomatoes the rare equal score on rotten tomatoes Ooh, 66 percent by the critics well i was gonna guess i was gonna guess 62 okay oh okay. very close in the, in the ballpark yeah okay 66 percent by the audience which Again, makes sense to me. Letterbox for the nerds like you out there, Joey, who love the letterbox. But again, that is a compliment. 2.9 out of 5. So you kind of mentioned that that was in a sweet spot of uh, okay or watchable. Yeah. But we don't care about that. (laughs) No, we don't. Nope. We don't care about those internet scores. I'm just sliding you the manila, the manila report card here. It's got those black lines and I'm handing you the red pen. And for the subject of nerve... You got to give it a grade from A plus to F. So Joey Lewandowski, the man who picked the movie Nerve, what will you grade? The <laughs> God, I'm between two, and like it's a big, it's a big difference between the two. Like it's just a half a grade apart. But like, is it a B minus or is it a C plus? I gave it three and a half stars. I think like the first hour is like A minus, then the last half hour is like a D. So like, how do you weight that? Like, mm. I'll go, I'll go B minus. I, th- I still think this movie is worth watching. Not that C plus is bad, but I think this movie is still worth watching. But like, you know, I- I'll give it a drill bit Taylor score of eighty, a uh, a B minus <laughs> in your high school. I guess an eighty five in mine. Like, yeah, it's uh, 
it's frustrating. Like, I want to unabashedly love this movie and be able to recommend it without reservation, but like, I can't. So B minus C plus somewhere in that in that teeter totter zone. So I gave it the same actually. I gave it a B minus. Maybe it's the eighty. I don't know. I didn't think of it that much. And I guess the reason I did is because as much as we're complaining here or just pointing out the flaws, when I'm watching, I'm not really feeling that. I'm actually having fun. Right. It's short. It's enjoyable. This is one of those fun movies, actually, that is worse to talk about than it is to watch. Like, talking about it makes it feel worse than if I just had it on in the background. But it's definitely a movie I would put on in the background. It's not a movie that I would just have the old notebook out and, and like you said, oh, bro, you have to watch this movie. It's going to blow your mind. Like, that's not why I would recommend it to someone. But on the other hand, it's something I would have in the background or... I, this is the best way to put it. We mentioned that it's on potentially FX or Fox Movie Channel or something, and it's on the app or whatever. If I'm flipping through channels in the old-fashioned style cable with a remote where you could just actually channel surf, and I saw this movie was on, I'd probably stop and watch it, you know, and I'd probably have a good time. But it's not a movie that I'm necessarily going out of my way to see all the time. But it's definitely something, again, that if I'm with my cousin or something, like, oh, you should check out this movie, Nerve. It's a pretty cool concept. But it's nothing, you know, I wouldn't be like, something that's going to blow your mind away. But I'm not, you know, it's not on my must-see movies. I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think I want to go back to, uh, I guess, my my feelings on this and why I'm bashing this. And, like, it's still a movie that I, I wanted to bring to you that I want to talk about that I'm always interested to watch. I think the issues on a very broad macro level that I have with this movie are the same kind of issues that I have with Anna and the Apocalypse, where it's mm, like, I really want to love this movie so much. And like, it, it scratches an itch that I do really have and I really enjoy. And yet it like gets in its own way, at least in my head a little bit. You know what I mean? And I think that the reason I'm so harsh on both those two movies is because like they're so close to being movies that I'm like, oh, this is one of my all time favorites. Right. So I think that this movie has more problems than Anna and the Apocalypse. But I also think that, like, when this movie is fun and working, I think it's it's great, right? But I don't know. I don't know. And, and again, at least on my show, we mostly talk about story and actors and stuff like that. We have talked a lot about the aesthetic here. Like, bravo on the aesthetic, though. Like, that's what's going to draw me in. Maybe if this was, like, a boring-looking movie, I would be less forgiving of it. But it looks so cool. So I, I want to give it points for that, for sure. Yeah. That's a perfect segue to our next question, Joey. What is your... Not that I'm complimenting my own segues here, but it just I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, yeah. <laughs> when I thought about the next question. But what does your... uh? nerve sleeping bag look like going back to what you were just saying like when you think of this movie think of the aesthetic like i don't really think of like people or plot i just think of like the lights like maybe the bisexual lighting maybe i think of emma robson dave franco but like it's more of like a feel and a mood when i think of this movie and i feel like that is a very easy way to go for the sleeping bag which i'm not saying is a bad way but i want to have a sleeping bag with a biker helmet on it with a sticker that says new york fucking city (laughs) oh i love it actually that's what i was thinking of just just the New York fucking city black like that. So you take that one. Maybe maybe I'll do it. Uh, the print of her dress from Bergdorf Goodman. Ooh, Who knows? You know? with like the with the bangles or the spangles or what's, what's the word? Bangles, spangles. I think just like all over, like the actual sequence on the sleeping bag. Yeah, like a four thousand dollars sleeping bag. Yeah, Ooh. I want a four thousand Bergdorf Goodman sleeping bag. Yeah, with the sequins like that and. Ooh, yes, <laughs> beautiful, so beautiful. We'll but you know what? On this slumber party. Since we're not incorporating it in the sleeping bags, we'll just go to bed with the bisexual lighting, right? Like, just like a nightlight. 
<laughs> or or maybe we don't go to bed at all because I just saw on your Instagram that there is a rent six get the seventh free. So maybe we just stay up all night watching <laughs> seven movies. Well, yeah, I posted that because I was like, oh my goodness. And then Kyle uh, commented like while we were recording, I think, along the lines of like, you know, it was long-winded, surprise, surprise, but it was something along the lines of, could you imagine <laughs> renting eight movies like at once from Blockbuster? Movies you have to rewind and stuff, and then you have to bring back by Awful. a certain time. You know, like. Well, I will tell you. I mean, it's not it's not the blockbuster, and it's kind of it's a different thing altogether. But like when I was still doing Netflix discs, I was paying for like one or two a month, or like you know, one or two at a time. You know, the monthly plan was like one or two at a time. But at the end of each month, I would ramp that up to like eight. Like with like two days left, I would go up to eight. And I would have like them send me the next six movies. And then as soon as they all shipped, I would dial it back down to two or one or whatever. Because it would only like they would prorate it. So you're only paying for three days or two days. Oh wow. Movies. Really? That's a And that's... so I would pay like a dollar fifty or whatever, but I would get six discs sent to me. Because like I could always watch faster than the mail. And so the big issue that I always had was like you know, you watch a movie, it takes a day to get there, they receive it, it takes another day to get back, and so, like, there's, like, two or three days in between, but suddenly I have eight discs, and, like, you can't get a ninth one, like, a new one, until you send them all back, but, like, it was a way to beat the system, so, like, nobody pays for Netflix discs, any- discs anymore, I don't think, but that was my way, so it's not exactly the Rent 6, Get the 7th free, but, like, I essentially, I essentially did that with Netflix for, like, a year or more when I was still getting the discs, so, you know, I've been there. I mean, and look, you, I know you watch that amount of movies. Hell, I do too. But just the, you know, the idea of like tapes, rewinding, driving back. Awful. You know? <laughs> Be kind, rewind. Yeah. <laughs> so insane. By the way, I miss the Netflix queue. Like not necessarily that. I'd rather have the music, movies at the fingertip. But I love having that list and just like organizing it and moving things yeah, up man. and down like oh miss that that's why letterbox you know letterbox lists do that they do they do but i don't like ranking necessarily regardless let's knock into philosophical Come join the here. nerds <laughs> but of course we are alluding to the grand question of high school slumber party the one that everyone loves the random recommendations if you will of our rent two movies yeah. get one free so joey you and i are in the magical bisexual lighting colored blockbuster in the sky <laughs> that has every movie that has ever existed up until this point today. We know we're watching Nerve. You said you did your homework, so I'm I'm happy for you. What two other movies are we renting? Oh, sorry. I didn't do the full thing. We get to the counter. We see the sign. <laughs> I send you to the back, Joey. And I say, look, it's rent two movies, get one free. Bring two other movies up. What are the wait, wait, ones? wait. You sent me to the back before you say that, so I don't even hear this. No, maybe. I said, go to the back, Joey. I'll, 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 I'll text you the <laughs> message on the Nerve app. Okay. Okay. Ooh. So we are literally watchers. We're not players. Oh, the, the VCR is the player, yes. but we are the watchers. <laughs> we are the watchers. So what two of the movies are we watching? So I want to give a shout out right now to 2016 as a year for high school movies, because it's the same year that this came out, of course. But also that year, two other movies that you and I have covered already in the edge of 17 and Ooh. better watch out oh wow so those are all really good high school movies the movie that i had picked which also came out that year which is an also a great movie but i am removing this i'm recusing this from the list but i do recommend to both you and to all of your listeners and i want you to put this on your list i'm not going to call dibs on this but i'm just saying you should watch this movie even if you don't cover it this is a wonderful movie the movie sing street S-I-N-G. Sing Street, S-T-R-E-E-T. Yes. That has it's been recommended to me. Great. Same year. 
Okay. Uh, that's not one of my recommendations because I thought of two better ones. So both of these fit the neon aesthetic. The one, I don't know for sure that it's high school. I think technically it would be because I think the Elle Fanning character is in high school, even though she does nothing school related. The movie The Neon Demon, which also came out that same year. Oh, yeah. The Nicholas Winding Refn movie where she is a model in Los Angeles and bad things happen. I'm pretty sure she's like 15 or 16. She's supposed to be because I remember Keanu was the manager of the motel and he's basically, you know, child sex trafficking, like, you know, encouraging all sorts of disgusting stuff. But the neon demon, neon soaked aesthetic, possibly also a high school movie and for sure the same year, 2016. So the neon demon, one of my two. Awesome. Love it. The other one, the one that I had the wild and i also if you ever do the neon demon i call dibs and i'm also (laughs) calling dibs for this next one i cannot believe that i had never thought of this movie as a high school movie even though it very clearly is my brain was jogged while we were recording this because we talked about some kind of tv and i was just thinking about tv high school whatever the movie which is a prequel to a high school tv series that i also call dibs on twin peaks fire walk with me is a high school movie oh really also bathed in neon. Yeah, Laura Palmer, who, spoiler, the whole show of Twin Peaks is about her, like, who killed Laura Palmer. This is about her final days. And so this is a prequel to the series, but oh, it came out after the series. Yeah, you're right. I remember now. Wow. But yeah, Laura Palmer is a high school student in Twin Peaks. And so the neon aesthetic, the David Lynch aesthetic, uh, high school for sure. Not 2016, unfortunately. Although... 2016 might have been the year that Twin Peaks The Return. It's either 2016 or 2017. So there is Twin Peaks in 2016, possibly. But my other two alongside Nerve are going to be the Neon Demon and Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Mm. And we are going to be bathed in like kind of horrific gothic neon lights all night long. I love it. What a good idea. Awesome. Great picks. Thank you. I wasn't expecting those. You did your homework and you, you served the slumber as well, I'd say. And I call dibs on both. If you ever do either or both, like Firewalk with Me is for sure a high school movie. I think the Neon Demon is, but that might be one that's like a summer school, which is like not really about high school, but like it's a high school student. You know what I mean? So I, I call dibs. But it's definitely something that I would love to do on, on this podcast. So thank you so much, Joey, for bringing nerve here and having how it inspired you to think of some other great high school movies. Sure. Anything you want to plug? I've been on your show recently for varsity blues as you mentioned but on the patreon Mm -hmm. exclusive where we get we get a little down and dirty in the patreon exclusive (laughs) too fast too forever every tuesday join brian as he gets dirty underneath the covers on patreon (laughs) we have the varsity blues episode up on patreon and then opening day for major league baseball we are today as i record this trying to figure out when our fantasy baseball draft is trying to coordinate it around the opening day which is tentatively scheduled for April 1st right now, unless it gets pushed back. But on that day, we will have another bonus episode, Mr. Baseball, uh, with Brian as a guest. Once again, under wraps, undercover. And then you'll be on for another episode later this lap. But yeah, Too Fast, Too Forever, every Tuesday, Joe 2 and I go through the Fast and Furious movies every other week. And then in the other weeks, the alternating weeks, we do pit stops in this lap. We're focusing all on movies themed around Tokyo Drift. So movies set in Japan, Japanese leads, Japanese directors, or actors from the movie Tokyo Drift, which you and I and Mike and Joe covered in an extravagant three-way crossover two years ago now? Like a long time ago. Wow. But like v- Valentine's Day, like this is like the, the anniversary, basically. 
<laughs> it's funny that, yeah, you, you've been on a, a Valentine's Day previously. We're a little before Valentine's Day, but hopefully you guys will be listening to the sultry tones of Joey Lewandowski and I for your Valentine's Day. And we have some Valentine's movies coming up, but I will discuss those with you guys in the postscript here. And But Joey, it was a pleasure to spend this time with you. Uh, thanks, Joey, for, for coming on, and uh, can't wait to have you on again. Thank you, Brian. Big thank you and shout out to Joey Lewandowski, not just for being a guest today, but being a guest every time he's on High School Slumber Party and for helping me through all technical issues of High School Slumber Party and everything, everything else that it takes to get this show done. He truly is the godfather of this network. So thank you, Joey, for being a friend, a mentor. I wonder what he's doing for Valentine's Day. I hope he's spending it with Peter Kavinsky. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just like me, watching To All the Boys, Always and Forever. I really can't wait for this movie. And trust me, Netflix doesn't pay me to promote it. I'm just letting you know what I'm doing this Valentine's Day, that's all. And I wish we were talking about it next Friday with Jenna Guillaume, but we haven't exactly matched dates up yet. I promise we'll have an episode on it. She lives in Australia. She's super busy. I'm here in New York, so we're just trying to sync up times But don't worry, we got another romantic movie for you next Friday. We got a Valentine's Day movie, I promise you that. Maybe the most romantic movie of all? I cannot wait to record this episode. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. We're actually recording it on Valentine's Day or the day before Valentine's Day. Sometime this weekend, Joe Two's going to be here. Kate Hudson's going to be here. So you know what I'm talking about. We're doing it again. Lifetime 2. Life 2 of Twilight is happening. And we're watching the OG Twilight. And we're talking about it next Friday. Possibly fast and strong. You gotta give me some answers. I'd rather hear your theories. I have considered radioactive spiders and kryptonite. It's all superhero stuff, right? What if I'm not the hero? What if I'm the bad guy? You know what you are. Your skin is pale white and ice cold. You don't go out into the sunlight. Say it out loud. Say it. Vampire. Are you afraid? No. This isn't real. This kind of stuff just doesn't exist. It does in my world. I just want to try one thing. I don't know how long I've waited for you. What is going on? Security guard at the mill got killed by some kind of animal. An animal? My family, we're different from others of our kind. You brought a snack. What, now he's coming after me? The hunt is his obsession. He's never gonna stop. I'd rather die than to stay away from you. He's got unparalleled senses, absolutely lethal. I'll do whatever it takes to make you safe again. You're faster than the others. What 
not stronger. I'm strong enough to kill you. You are my life now. So hang on tight, Spider Monkey. Of course, your homework is to watch Twilight and listen next Friday. Same Cage Club time, same Cage Club podcast network, of course. Oh my god, I can't wait. Is there a purer love than the love between Edward and Bella? And we get long-haired Jacob. Could you ask for a better film to talk with the Valentine's Day spirit? Woo! Cannot wait. Once again, shout out to our healthcare heroes doing all the tough hard work during this pandemic. And one more thing, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. I leave you with another song off this great, great soundtrack for the movie Nerve. The song is called Can't Get Enough. And it's by Basenji or Basenji. I know it's a dog. I should know how to pronounce it. It's a cute dog, but... We'll say Basenji. Can't get enough. Later, dudes.